This is a Pasco Media production. Please visit pascomedia.com. Producer Jean here. As you know, the ladies are taking the summer off from the podcast as they are traveling and speaking and involved in other projects, and the podcast will be back very, very soon. But we didn't want to leave you without your three favorite coffee companions throughout the summer. So we have some bonus episodes. This is bonus episode number two. It's a quick interview that I did with Sister. I was able to track her down last week. The style of the interview is a little different than what you're used to. This is in the style of My Life in Ministry, which is another podcast on the Pasco Media Podcast Network. If you're interested in conversations with people who are doing full-time ministry, all you need to do is go to mylifeinministry.com. Also, make sure you sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss when the new season starts. Go to abidingtogetherpodcast.com and you can subscribe to the newsletter so that when the new season starts, you will get the information about that. Also, if you know someone out there who could enjoy this conversation today or anything that has showed up in the podcast archive, please be our ambassador and spread the word. Share the website, abidingtogetherpodcast.com. Dot com so other folks can enjoy the show. Enjoy my interview with the sister. Uh, I'm Sister Miriam James Heidland, and I am a member of the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. I joined, I first joined my community almost 20 years ago. And uh, so, yeah, been in religious life, been doing this thing for a while now. And I currently live in South Texas, uh, affectionately known as the Outer Rims of Hell on the summer. So it's so hot. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing with my life right now. I have been serving for the last five years as in addition to speaking in public and giving retreats and conferences. And, uh, I also, um, have been serving as a secretary to one of my superiors. So, uh, we just had elections. So my life is a little different now. So I'm on a different council. And so we're just trying to see what God is doing in my life, what doors he's opening. I think that a life of ministry, which is a life poured out for Christ in the service of others, chose me. <laughs> so I, I, this is not by nature my my thing. I didn't want to be a missionary growing up, and I, I wanted to be rich and famous uh, as a girl. And I've always liked nice things and, and things like that. And so I had in my heart a burning desire, though, to give the gift of myself in love. I wanted to be excellent, and so I fell in love with sports very early. That was my first love with sports. And so just pursuing excellence in that arena as an athlete and also in school and things like that. But I, we went to church every Sunday, but I was, I had never fallen in love with Jesus. And it really wasn't until I had just hit bottom in my life. So often by the time I was in college, I had a division one scholarship to play volleyball. And I, I wanted to work for ESPN one day. That was my dream job is to work for ESPN. And, um, but I also had an addiction. I was an alcoholic and I had a lot of trauma in my life that had been undealt with and my life just imploded. And what God did at that time is he sent a Catholic priest into my life who began to mentor me. And I had never met anybody holy like that. Who's whose life was certainly not perfect, but who's somebody who so loved Jesus Christ, it radiated from his being. And I remember being 21 and just looking at him and saying, I don't like, I don't know what you've got father. Like, I don't know what this is, this like luminescence, this beautiful luminosity, this radiance. Like, I don't know what that is, but I want that. Like you life, your life is excellent. And I want to live an excellent life, even though I'm very broken right now. I want something more. There's got to be more to life than this. And, uh, shortly after that, I graduated from college and father, 
invited me down to one of the missions uh, of the religious community where I where I now you know I'm a part of, and it was it was shortly after that in the silence there that I I had a profound experience of Jesus Christ actually calling me to Himself and. It was a moment of singular grace that um, I can never deny, and I, I remember as if it happened yesterday of Christ calling me to Himself, and I said yes, and by the grace of God, been saying yes every day since. I think that the most difficult questions about the faith—I mean, you talk about theological questions or say even philosophical questions that can be tethered to and explained within theology—but I really do believe the hardest questions come from the human heart. Uh, most of the questions people have really are about suffering and suffering takes on many forms of everything from, you know, why did God allow my child to die versus, you know, why is my neighbor same sex attracted or what, you know, like all these different things where we, we grapple with the deepest meaning of life. And if God is so good, why would, why would there be so much suffering? Why does he permit us to be so awful to one another at times? Or why does life just seems to be so unfair? And I think, we all struggle with that. We all have those questions at times in our life saying, what, what's, what's going on here? Like, what's the purpose of life? What's the, is there meaning in suffering? Does it make a difference? Does my life make a difference? And I think listening to people's stories and not trying to give platitudes, but really hearing their heart and willing, being willing to suffer with them and to speak life into them, but also not pretending that we know the answers. I don't, I, I don't know why certain people suffer. I have no idea, but what I do know is what St. Augustine said, that God would not allow anything to happen to us, that he doesn't plan to bring a greater good out of. And so I truly believe that in the providence of all things, that God will always bring resurrection out of our deepest sorrows. That I know. Um, but yeah, I think just to really be attentive and not, you know, not try to pretend to know something we don't know, but also being willing to learn what we don't know as well. So I think, you know, taking an attitude of humility and receptivity to the human person and, and bringing them closer to God is always a, a good step. Oh, that's a good question. What I find admirable in people that I look up to, I think people people that are totally sold out for Christ. I I just they, just captivating to me. Like the priest that mentored me, Father Pinto, just it was so captivating. People like you know Saint John Paul II. Uh, there's just wonderful people that I know even now, even non-Catholics. There's a wonderful woman named Christine Kane who is one of the top speakers in the world. And she speaks all over and she preaches the gospel and she runs an, an anti-human uh, trafficking organization. She has a TV show and several books out and her life is just on fire for Christ. And I think people that are willing to pursue excellence, I mean, I still love sports to this day. I love sports. I love the willingness to pursue excellence and to allow yourself to be transformed in that. People that are humble, people that are authentic, people that are honest about their own brokenness, that aren't trying to hide it or pretend to be something that they're not. To me, I look at that uh, and just, I find it so inspiring people willing to do their work and to admit what they don't know and also be willing to lay down their lives and to be transformed. One of the deepest loves of my heart is, you know, it is preaching the gospel. It's speaking about Christ, mercy and forgiveness. I, I love, uh, being able to do ministry with priests and to speak at priest convocations. And, you know, these men that have been chosen by Christ who are indelibly marked just to pour out their lives for God. I just such a, a needed, I think, healing there in the priesthood and in the church and being able to speak to leaders in the church. I think if you can bring leaders to a deeper connection and intimacy with Christ in their heart, that will naturally flow out to the church. So with the priesthood, with religious life, with lay leaders in the church, 
being able to to minister deeply to them, I think, is something that's profoundly impactful because it has an overflow effect to the rest of the world. So uh, to be able to do that full time, I would I would love to be able to do that. Oh, as a religious sister, as a bride of Christ, I I think people often it's interesting religious life is very interesting you know you look at the history of religious life of of the way that people began in the gospels following christ and and just how that's um been present throughout the 2000 year history of our church and just in the last hundred years you've seen an, a seismic shift in religious life and what it means to serve god and people leaving the priesthood leaving religious life and really at the heart of all things is not a, a woman who can give more to people because she's quote-unquote not married so to speak really what you're seeing is an eschatological sign of god's love for his bride and I think that reality of living as a bride, even as religious sisters, you know, Mother Teresa would often tell her sisters that, that, you know, you're not social workers, <laughs> you're brides of Christ. And that reality of, of that life, of the sign of future glory, of, of hope lived out that Christ loves us so much, he gives his life for us and he, he cleaves to us and he desires to pour himself out for us and to unite us in eternal consummation and, and, and a, you know, in a wedding forever, that he desires to unite us to himself. I think it's such a profound sign of religious life. And so it's an honor to be able to wear a habit and to be a witness of that wherever I go. I can't tell you how many stories, I have so many stories about just being a public wearing a habit and you know, what happens with people and their reactions, both positive and negative. And, um, but it's a tremendous responsibility and it's a tremendous grace and it's a tremendous gift. So as important as our work is, our ministry flows from that relationship. So even myself, even serving people or speaking in public or giving retreats or however you're doing that, it always flows from that foundational, um, intimate relationship with Christ. Cause if it's not flowing from that, then I really have no idea what we're giving people. I really don't. We're giving them something else. But ultimately, people want to encounter Christ. They, you know, they don't even want to encounter me after a conference. They want to tell me their story and they want to receive hope. But they, who they, they want to encounter Jesus Christ. And I've realized that over the years. Like, oh, this is, thank God, not about me. And I hope it never is. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. What's the one mistake I keep making over and over again? Um, I think that all of us have narratives in our life. Uh, we have several narratives. We have the true narrative, which is the story of God's love in our life. But we also have, just out of our trauma and brokenness, competing narratives of of where our castles are weak, where our fortresses are weak. And I think many times it's easy because we get in the habit of believing old stories about ourselves or certain things that maybe we've never been good at. So we think we say to ourselves, well, I'll never be good at that. But I think those weak muscles, when I see those, when those are revealed to me, those weak muscles, giving those to Christ and allowing him to strengthen those. But, you know, there's a great saying, and I, I know they say it often in the 12-step program, that, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping you get a different result. And it's very easy to become comfortable with our weakness in a sense of like, oh, this is always how I'm going to be versus like, Lord, come and transform me. And I'm weak and I need your power here and allowing him to do that. So I think it's the continual purging of the old narrative. So the true narrative can shine forth. Oh, gosh, that's a very interesting question. What is the most difficult? Because I think there's different kinds of difficulties. There's there's a, a part of you when you're totally poured out for others and you're totally spent, which is in a sense difficult, but it's very good and very refreshing. Like you're pouring yourself out and you know it's for the Lord. But there's also these other parts where you, like I said, almost like you're stumbling over your old narrative or if you're trying 
you know, to do something out of your own strength versus relying on the strength of God. And that becomes very difficult too, because then it depends upon you. So I think that, uh, when I forget who Christ is and I forget who I am, then life becomes very difficult and the shadows come over my life. But when I can recenter myself and many times I have to do that several times a day of recentering myself of who I am and who God is, and that this is his story that he's writing out. I think it makes life much easier. Uh, but yeah, I think there's many kinds of difficulties. So some are good, some are difficult. (laughs) The best day in ministry easily is when you are speaking the love of Christ to people and they're receiving it wholeheartedly and you hear their stories of transformation and they come to you and they tell you the secrets they've never told anybody. And you see in them a a ray of hope for the first time, or you see a huge breakthrough in their life, or you see somebody finally say, Oh my gosh, God could love somebody like me. Uh, you know, I, I speak to all different kinds of audiences and whether it's teens to adults to, like I said, to priest at priest convocations or to healing. I would do a lot with the John Paul II healing center of Tallahassee. And to me, my favorite audience is really an audience with an open heart. And when you, they, people have, when we come with open hearts, which is something that God can't force upon us, it's, it's our own will where our hearts are open. When God pours his love out and their people receive it to me, that is the best, that is the best thing ever to see people encounter intimacy with Christ and receive hope there. That's, that's the best ever. My life, I travel a lot. Um, and so it's very important that I learn better self-care. It's very easy. I'm somebody who's involved. I'm a very driven person and I'm very disciplined. And so it's very easy for me to just to push and push and push and to forget that I can also have just time off. And so I, um, I get, I exercise for me. I try to exercise every day. And that just being an athlete since I was young, I've learned that um, that's very important for me. So trying to go for a walk every single day or exercising every single day, obviously deep time of prayer. I love to laugh. And so whether that's friends of mine that I just spend time laughing with or, you know, just you know, like comedians online or something like that. It just I like Jimmy Fallon. I like just like Tim Hawkins or people like that. Um but I also do a lot of interior work as well. And so attending to just whatever interior needs to be taken care of, um, letting Christ come into that and speaking that to people that I know and that I love. I really enjoy spending time with people that I love. That's very nourishing as well. So uh, there's a variety of things. I love music. I love beauty. I love art. I, I love the symphony when I can do that, which is rare, but it's such a gift. So those are many things that I, I desire to do. I can't always do that, but that I delight in for sure. I think that, what am I most proud of? I think that by the grace of God, I think that my motto in life is go big or go home, you know? And uh, I think that the willingness of allowing Christ to pursue me and to go to the core of my very being and not stopping, like I, you know, I just, I just never stop allowing Christ to heal me. And I hope I never do. I hope the conversion never ends. I hope the healing never ends. And so I think the, the massive interior work that has been very intense the last 12 years and it still continues i think that reality has transformed my heart so deeply that you know that it makes christ more evident to others and so for me it's always starts with the one-on-one relationship with christ and it flowing out from there uh because that's the most important whether that's a one-on-one conversation or whether that's speaking in front of thousands of people people crave the intimacy with jesus himself and so that's the most important thing for me is to allow that to continue to happen in my life and um, allow him to love me and to heal me. I'm just like anybody else. I certainly have my own worries and my own anxieties at times and wondering how certain things are going to work out. Or, you know, I think, you know, I turned 40 last year, two years ago. 
almost 42 now. And that was certainly a transition in my life of like, wow, I've been in religious life a long time and I'm this age. And, you know, I think everybody hits that point where you're just like, what's the rest of my life going to look like? You know? Um, yeah, I miss my mom at times, you know, her by herself. I miss my mom. And you just think of what life will be like, you know, without her maybe one day. And so, yeah, just the concern for the church as well. And, and just different people that I know that often reach out to me and ask for prayers and interceding for them. And so, yeah, just, just like everybody else, I certainly have my own things that I ponder deeply and bring to the Lord. I love encountering, like I said, beauty. It is one of my favorite things. And a friend of mine took me to an art museum a few months ago when I was visiting in town. And I hadn't been to an art museum in quite some time. And I just thoroughly enjoyed that day. I can't even tell you. Just being so captivated by God's art and just how people express themselves in such beauty. And I I really think that um, that was probably one of the things also. And I just had other encounters of just praying with people and journeying with people and, and, and hearing their stories and, and hearing their breakthrough that just you stand on holy ground when you hear somebody's story. It's very sacred. And so those are always very precious moments when people are willing to reveal these deep parts of themselves and, and allow Christ to come in. That's always such a sacred thing for me. About the young church, I, oh gosh, just there are so many wonderful young people that are fighting such a cultural milieu of death that are just willing to stand up for the truth and give the gift of themselves and seek out the sacraments and be faithful to Christ and to form young adult groups. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work for Steubenville, the Steubenville conferences, and just to see teens come who probably many of them, you know, are there because they want to, but many of them are there because they have to be there and to see them transformed, to see them encounter Christ. I think that, you know, you really have to want to be Catholic today. It's not something, it's the, the tradition of my parents are Catholic, so I'm Catholic is no longer for, mother, for a lot of people. And so young people today choosing Christ or willingly choosing Christ in, in a huge countercultural choice. And to me, that is so, you know, with the influx of Instagram and all the things that are just being poured out of all the things that, you know, the culture says life is supposed to be like and do whatever you want, however you want, with whomever you want. I think young people today willing to stand up in beauty and truth for Christ is so inspiring to me, like focused missionaries, people that St. Paul's outreach, like these people that these young people that are giving them their lives to Christ in missionary service. I, to me, it's so inspiring. Mm-hmm.